Welcome to Harper Academic Calling. I'm Michael Finan, Marketing Assistant with Harper Academic. Our podcast is designed to give educators, students, as well as every reader, a behind-the-scenes chat with a range of our authors, from well-loved favorites to up-and-coming debut writers, about their books. Harper Academic calling Jennifer Haig. Jennifer's latest novel, Heat and Light, which is now available in paperback, focuses on Bakerton, a fictional former coal town in Pennsylvania. Bakerton becomes a hotbed of activity when a massive deposit of natural gas is discovered. Heat and Light marvelously portrays the national debate over fracking, although this is not a book about fracking. Instead, It is a book bursting with humanity, as Jennifer explores the different characters whose lives are affected by the discovery of natural gas in Bakerton. We spoke with Jennifer briefly to have her talk to us more about the book, the characters, and how the topics she explores resonate in America today. We have Jennifer Haig with us today, author of Heat and Light. And Jennifer, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Not a problem. Um, So I guess to start off, um, can you tell us a little bit about the book? Uh, Heat and Light is a novel set in western Pennsylvania, northern Appalachia, in a former coal mining town I call Bakerton. Uh, This is a town I've written about before in two earlier books, and in this story, it looks at what happens to the town when um, landmen descend on the region trying to buy up mineral rights um, to drill natural gas. Okay, um, so... You said um, you've talked about Bakerton in previous books of yours. Are any of the characters or plot lines recurring, or is this completely new? Um, Well, I've been writing about Bakerton for a very long time, so what's beginning to happen is that I'm getting multiple generations of the same family. Um, A couple of the main characters in this book are sons of a guy named Dick Devlin, who appears in two of the earlier books. So I'm kind of moving through a whole generation now. Okay, cool. And, um... So you've said in previous interviews that um, despite the fact that fracking is a major plot point, you don't consider this to be a book about fracking per se. Could you go a little a little bit into that? Sure. Um, so when I started writing this book um, in the mid two thousands, um, the fracking story was just starting to break. Um, there was a lot of controversy over this practice, especially in New York State, and so I followed that story very closely. Um, I don't know if you remember, but in New York, there was a very well-organized political movement opposing fracking, and in the end, they prevailed. They um, got Governor Cuomo to sign a moratorium, and as long as Cuomo is the governor, there will be no fracking in the state of New York. Um, So as I saw this story unfolding, I found myself wondering, why was the outcome so different in Pennsylvania? Um, Pennsylvania and New York, you know, they're socially, culturally, not so very different, and yet the fracking story in Pennsylvania has not, has not ended so neatly. Um, and the reason, I believe, is that Pennsylvania has always been an energy state, unlike New York. Uh, most people don't know this, but the first oil well in the world was drilled in western Pennsylvania. After that, we had 100 years of coal mining. We had deep mines, we had strip mining, we had the Three Mile Island nuclear disaster. So again and again, Pennsylvania has been on the front line of this 
story of energy exploration. It's, it's been a region that has benefited from it and has also at times paid a terrible price. So as I wrote more about fracking, I came to understand that the story was much larger than this. I was looking at how the, the fracking question relates to what came before it and what may come after it. Um, the people in this region have a, a unique relationship to ecology. And um, this is one way Pennsylvania is so different from New York. I think if you are from a coal mining region, you have a different tolerance for environmental destruction. I say this from personal experience. I grew up in a coal mining town very much like Bakerton. And um, when I was a kid, the coal mines were still booming. And we were accustomed to, um, you know, truck traffic and um, roads that were crumbling and um, strip mined lands that were not backfilled. And all of this was just business as usual in my part of the world. Um, so I think people there have, have this sort of binary way of thinking about the environment that um, you can either have a booming economy and things are pretty dirty or things can be perfectly clean but the town is destitute. It's kind of A or B because that's how it has always been in the history of these towns. And now, despite the fact that you say it's um, so binary, I th one of the things I love about the novel is that um, it's very much not an A or B issue because that you get this rich cast of characters um, and they really make it more about these, um, it's not so much about the debate points, they're these human characters and their humanity in this really complicates the issue. Right. Well, you know, it's, it is... It's a story about people, as all novels are, all good novels. Um, you know, if you write a novel about an issue, you're, you're setting yourself up to write a really, really bad book. Um, so Heat and Light isn't a screed against fracking by any means. Um, it's just looking at what it's really like, how it affects people on all sides of it. So you have characters who are landowners who choose to lease their mineral rights and have a drill rig in the backyard. You have characters who decide not to lease their mineral rights and find themselves at odds with their neighbors and other people in the community. You have guys who work on drill rigs. You have the CEO of the gas company. You have an environmental activist. You have a geologist. You have people who have um, intimate relationships uh, with this um, gas drilling issue, uh, but come down on all sides of it. Absolutely. Um, who's your favorite to write about out of all these characters? You know, it's like asking a parent who's your favorite child. Um, <laughs> it doesn't really work that way. Generally, I, I have the greatest affection for the character I wrote about most recently or read from most recently. So the last time I did a reading from Heat and Light, I was uh, reading a section about Rich Devlin, the prison guard. So he's uppermost in my mind at the moment. And I do feel a real connection to that character. He reminds me very much of, of people I grew up with. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to jump back to something you said earlier. You mentioned um, what comes before fracking, the coal mining, and what comes after. Where do, where do you see um, fracking going in this country? Do you think um, it's going to keep going? Do you think we're going to reach a point where environmental activists ultimately win out? No, I don't think we will. Um, I think the way um, the political situation is playing out right now, we're um, in for a period of deregulation on the gas industry. So I think, if anything, um, we're going to see more drilling activity than we have in the past few years. Uh, the other thing that um, 
the the novel really hits home is that this you know it's a cyclical industry um, gas drilling just like coal mining was and so it's very much tied to what the markets are doing in the past five years um, we've seen very little gas drilling activity in Pennsylvania not because of environmental activists but because the gas prices have been so low that it's not cost-effective to do it. So um, it really has more to do with what happens in the economy as a whole, and that's a hard thing for anybody to predict, let alone a novelist. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, So ultimately, what do you want readers to come away from this novel with? Do you um, ultimately want to set them down on one side of the debate or the other, or do you just want to give them more of a well-rounded picture? You know, I think of of reading novels and writing novels as an exercise in extreme empathy. It really is the best technology we have for getting inside another person's head. Um, So in reading fiction, you really are forced to look at the world through somebody else's eyes um, in a unique way. Journalism can't do this. Um, You know, nonfiction can't do this in the same way. Only fiction really forces you to, to walk around in somebody else's shoes. And, and I, I would hope that um, readers come away from this book with a little more understanding of the point of view of people who don't think like they do. Mm, absolutely. Uh, so it was originally published in May of 2016. Um, do you think its message or its resonance with people has changed since then? It has, to my surprise. Um, you know, after the book was published, um, we were all very much embroiled in the presidential campaign, myself included. Um, and because of the way the election went, I think the book has a kind of relevance that I would not have predicted. Um, as it turns out, the 2016 election was very much decided by people in communities like Bakerton, in you know, flyover America, in these post-industrial regions that have suffered through some pretty hard times in the last 25, 30 years. Um, So I think we are listening to those voices with more attention than we have in the past, partly as a result of the way the election turned out. So I I think a a story like Heat and Light has much more resonance than I ever would have imagined it having right now. Absolutely. It really gives you a good picture of the people, like you said, living in flyover America. Um, Another thing that I was was reminded of is the um, the spotlight that's been on the um, North Dakota Access Pipeline lately. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's, that story is ongoing. Um, and it was already, you know, when the book was published in May, that was already kind of a breaking story. And um, there's no end in sight. So it's, you know, if anything, um, it, uh, it makes the book more relevant. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, Jennifer, one final question I want to ask you, um, and we ask this of all of our guests since this podcast is primarily for teachers. Who was your favorite teacher? My dad. <laughs> Both my parents were school teachers. Um, and my dad, because he was a teacher of literature, um, r- had a great influence on me. He was the person who was always putting the right book in my hands at the right time. He was very opinionated, opinionated about everything he wrote um, and he read. And we had um, great, lively discussions about books all through my life. Fantastic. All right. Well, Jennifer, this has been terrific. Thank you so much. Thank you, Michael. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Harper Academic Calling. Subscribe on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite third-party app for more episodes. And be sure to visit us at harperacademic.com for more information about this and other great books.